Okay, welcome back everybody. It is a pleasure to see everyone. Thank you for taking the time to come. Let's learn today. We have the opportunity. We're going through this series called The One Wife of Prayer. And really it's a, just a, a reminder because many of these things we know, but it's a, it's a good, uh, it's, it's a good opportunity to truly, really appreciate what we're doing. Today we have our tall order. The tall order is appreciating Suke de Zimra. So this is, this, this is an area in Tefillah, which unfortunately it does not get enough attention and certainly does not get enough time. So we're going to try to try to appreciate this. Now there's a general ethos out there, which is if we don't like it, then just try to get through it as fast as possible. So that's, that, that's generally a, 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 a sort of a general modus operandi, and it's not a very healthy way of approaching something one doesn't fully understand. So what I'd like to try to do is, is to try to spend a little bit of time Getting, gaining a little sense of appreciation and better depth of Pesuket Zimra, and there's a lot to talk about because it's not one thing, it's multiple things all woven together. So as an example, just on the top of the page, just to take a look at it, there's a lot of different pieces. There's, there's Baruch Shamar and Yishtabach on either end, those seem to be the brachas which hold it in place, those are the edges of the sandwich. And then we have Hoidu, Mizmoratoda, Yi. Yichavoid Ashrei, the Halalukas, the Baruch Hashem Lanam Amen Vamein, Vayvarat David in Az Yashir, Ashes Vacharis Samabris in the middle as well. So it's a long, a long trajectory of different, different pieces. If you ask the average person what what, what constitutes Pesukah de Zimra, they'll tell you lots of Tehillim, right? Truth is, it's not only Tehillim. There's other things there too. There are lots of other things there too, and they actually relate to four major episodes in Jewish history. So we're going to have to try to uh, try to unpack those episodes and understand what's going on, how this all works. So let's start at the very beginning. Why are we saying it in the first place? Why do we need to say Pesukim Surely the mitzvah of davening is tefillah, and, uh, and the primary notion of what tefillah is is the amida. So Pesukim is not that. So what what is it? Why are we doing it? So it falls into a very interesting formula which we apply multiple times in davening on a bigger and smaller scale. And on the bigger scale, the Gemara tells us in Brachos Daf Beis. The following: First, a person needs to praise Hashem, organize, orchestrate the praise of Hashem, and then they should daven. Um, and then it goes, learns this from Moshe Rabbeinu, as in, in the Pashas Vayeschanan, where Moshe Rabbeinu first praises Hashem, then makes the request, which is which is seeking to gain. That's that, that, that's how this uh, the, this operates. So, therefore, if you look at the biggest structure of davening, that we first set up all the praises of Hashem. And then we start, uh, then we start making the requests, the requests being in the Shmon Esra. Now the Shmon Esra also has a fractal, the same perspective, right? The first three brachas are also Shevach followed by the Bakasha, but that's, so to speak, a smaller um, a microcosm of the macrocosm of what's happening in Davling as a whole. The way that Rasulavechik puts this is, that therefore, if you think about this for a moment, that means to say that the Pesukah de Zimra, in a certain sense, can be defined, halachically speaking, as a matir. Matir means to say, it gives you the heter, the ability to be able to make requests. I mean, who do you think you are? You walk into the throne chamber and you say, God, I need this, I need that, I need this. God, I asked this three times already. So all these things you say, how do you have the right to say that? The answer is only when you set up the, 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 the shevach, only when you set up the praise beforehand. That's what, we, that's what we're doing right over here. Now, what's interesting, because if you think about it then for a moment, we should ask the question, so who needs the shevach? Right? Is this because HaKadosh Baruch Hu? really, 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 really desires to be, you know, um, getting, get, get all the accolades from all these human beings across the planet? Or really is actually the, the function of this, of this, of this operation, of this, of this particular model, really us? Meaning we aren't in the zone yet to be able to, uh, to, be, uh, to, be able to, uh, to appreciate um, the, the, being able to say, say the praise of Hashem without, without this as well. Just yesterday we had a beautiful abundance in Shul. The mayor's um, celebrated twin bar mitzvah. I don't know if anybody had a chance to peek downstairs 
in the, into the ballroom. There's a very serious setup over there. I've never seen all the, all the rabbonim of, of of history in their football gear yet. It was a very it was it was, uh, it was a pretty amazing setup. And but they, they meant it really really seriously. And in in the speeches when they talked to their kids who are big football fans. They talked about the, the relevance and the, the significance of what it means to do Judaism with the same fervor as one would be as a, foot, for a football fan. And it was very, very fascinating. One of the things that, 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 was, that, that the dad quoted was, uh, Stu quoted, was um, um, a story about um, the, uh, one of the famous coaches of the, of the Cowboys, who uh, the rules were that, that, that if, you, if you're in the NFL, if you're playing professional football, you not only do you show up at practices and meetings, but you sh you have to show up ten minutes earlier. It's as if you didn't come on time. So one of one of the one of the players once asked him, and after he retired, says, "What's the deal? Why why if the meeting was at six o'clock in the morning, we were there at five fifty? So he says, "Because if you didn't arrive ten minutes early, there's no way you're in the zone for the meeting by the time you're arriving at at six o'clock." That's he said. Basic, basic, right? It's like same works for davening. And in a certain sense, and I'm not, not, not saying this is why we should arrive exactly on time or late, but that's what Pseudism was doing. Right? Pseudism is getting us into the zone. Right? You, you can't daven. You don't have the rights or ability or mindset or framework to, to daven if you don't, haven't got the shavach set up before. And let's get into the zone. That's what Pseudism is supposed to be doing for us as well. So Rav Soloveitchik then, then takes the comment one, one, one step further. It's not just a matter. He says the, the following, like, how do we have the right to even praise Hashem in the first place? Like so, quoting the pasuk in Tehillim, "Mi Yamalel, Mi Yamalel, Gvoras Hashem Yashmiya Kol Tielasai." Who will speak all the praises of Hashem? The Gvoras says, "Anybody, only a person who's worthy is the person who's wor who can give the praises to Hashem." The Gvoras learns out of this. So, so how are we worthy to give Hashem praises? So he explains that in the in in this next in source three, the answer is implicit in the words of our text. By invoking King David, we rely upon his precedent through his composition of psalms to allow us to engage in prayer as well, in, in, in praise as well. This right to compose songs and praises is reserved for King David alone, based on being described as a sweet singer of Israel, which Rashi explains means that all the songs of praise in Israel originate from only from him. King David wrote the book of Psalms through divine inspiration, and he was chosen to commit the words of praise of to writing. Consequently, we are permitted to use his words to praise God ourselves, which means that even the praise we're using, it's not like suddenly we're sitting there getting on our soapbox and our poetry slam and we're doing what we think is right. We're doing it in the words of David. Now that idea is very profound. It just doesn't work for the beginning of Pesuket Zimra, because you'll notice that anytime you want an, you, you, that, that you are quoting a pasuk, if you're in a, in a reasonable sitter, the sitter will give you a footnote and tell you that you're, you're, you're quoting a pasuk and where it comes from. That's not true of the first paragraph of Pesukah Zimra. What's the first paragraph? Baruch Shomer, right? Let's forget Bemizvah Shir Chanukah Zabazdavid for a moment. But uh, Baruch Shomer is the first paragraph of of, of Pesukah Zimra. There is no footnotes there. You know why? Because you're not quoting Pesukim. You're quoting a bracha. Who created brachas? Anshek Nesas Agdola. So what Rosh Hashanah is saying, if you think about what he's saying, is in Baruch Shomer, which is the beginning of Pesukah Zimra, it says Abocher b'Shirei Zimra. Sorry, that's at the end. Uh, that's the Shtavach. Where we, we, we say, Shire David Avdecha, right? We're going to praise you with the Shire David Avdecha. So essentially, what Hanshek and Esadola were doing when they created Sukkotism was they created this bracha like they created all the other brachas, and they said, We're going to use all the praises from beforehand. Because think about it, let's imagine you were on the board of Hanshek and Esadola. It was a large entity, it was a large conglomerate. Imagine they're sitting down, they say, We want to create all these praises. Well, where's the starting point? One of the questions one could ask is, But surely David Melech got that covered already, right? Didn't David Melech do all of this? Like, why are you making new tefillahs? 
It's a big question. In fact, so much so that the Rasaji God suggests that uh, that uh, that Tehillim are not pray are not are not requests, right? So the, the Rasaji God understands that perhaps they're prophecies. You're looking at Tehillim because how could Anshe Knesset create their own prayer book when the prayer books are already being created? What Rasulovetchik is saying is they took this bracha to frame it as saying is we're going to now repurpose, not repurpose, but reorganize the praises already done into this uh, into this framework that we're now uh, now that we're about to do. That's what Baruch is doing, and it's telling us that it's doing that by saying we're going to praise you with the praises of our David. He has the and that's what the bracha is. Let's start going, and therefore the rest of it is actually the, pra- are the, 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 the prophets and the and the kings rather than ourselves that's what that's what we seem to be saying when we say baruch shamar so then the question is so where do they get the text of baruch shamar there's a fascinating tradition they, they didn't write it themselves in fact this was in, also not written by jake nesagdola in fact um the the bear hater quotes um on the shokarach in source four the shavach zetik nuan shek nesagdola ayadeh piskod nafel min shamaya there's a tradition a kabbalistic tradition that the anshek nesagdola didn't compose it there was a there was a note that fell down from heaven. They 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 were they picked this up and they were and they, and they and this was the text that they received, which is fascinating because there are not too many variant texts. There is one variant text, um, which which is fascinating to note. But um, but uh, generally speaking, Bar Shamar is one coherent text, and in fact it has eighty seven as uh, as he points out in the next line. Matzo kasaboy diyesh by pezayin table. So it's eighty seven words. No Bar Shamar can have more or less than eighty seven words. That's what it's supposed to be. Case one's counting, but it's more than that. If you actually go a little further, the Arach Hashulchan, in quoting Baruch Shama, says that um, he quotes in the first line in source five, in the middle of the line, he says, "Tzarich lo amra benigun of enima." You should say it with a nigun and 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 pleasantly. Ki yushir na even echmar. It's a beautiful song. Because of a sefer hechalos, he quotes the sefer hechalos. It's one of the early Kabbalistic mesvarim. Sheyesh ba shmoni v'sheva tevos v'simon ech rosha kesem paz. Quoting the Torah, the Torah as well, that it um, it has the 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 siman of rosha kesem paz. Paz is um, literally gold. But it means um, that's the Paz is the 87. Good. It has 13, 13, atru- 13 times it says the word Baruch in Baruch Shamar, corresponding to the 13 Midos. What, is he, what do you think he's referring to? That's what I thought as well. But what did you just finish saying? You just finished saying Rabbi Shmuel Aimer. So Rabbi Shmuel had the Yimel Midos. By him. I just wonder if what he's saying is it might be referring to the attributes of Hashem, but it may be a direct follow-on for the way of the tools of expansion of Hashem's Torah, which is Rabbi Shmuel just enumerated. Now you have 13 of Baruch, Baruch, Baruch's corresponding to those 13 Midos, and he says more than that. It's not just looking backwards, it's also looking forwards. Suggests the Baruch, Baruch uh, the, 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 the Arach Shevach. There are 13 distinct uh, parts of, of praise in the Pesuk de Zimra. And here they are. He says, Haidu, Mizmonotayda, the Pesuk Yichavad, Yichavad is not one entity, it's a lot of Pesukim. Ashrei, Chamish Mizmore Yehalaluka, that's another five. Baruch Hashem Lalabamein Vamein, which is a closing paragraph in Tehillim. Vayvarech David, Vachares, Vashirasayam. So there's 13 distinct parts of, of, of the Pesuk de Zimra. So the Baruch Shama is structured as, Hashem, we're going to praise you, we're going to bless you, in these 13 ways, that's why Baruch, 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 13 times, now we're going to start. That's the way that the Arach HaShulchan looks at it, and I think it's a very profound way of looking at it. So looking backwards at the 13 attributes in which the Torah is, is expanded, looking forward at the 13 ways that we're about to praise Hashem, we start the Baruch Shama. The, the Arach HaShulchan does point out, we're not going to go into this in depth, but he does point out that it is unusual, if you look at the actual text of the, of the Baruch Shama, that the Bracha does not come at the beginning. Did you notice that? 
So although the word that it starts with is borrowed, but that's not actually technically a blessing. Those, that's part of the, 30, the train of 13 uh, blessings that we mentioned, but it's not actually the structure of a blessing. So it goes, um, let's just pull, pull this open here for a moment. So it goes, Baruch Shem Avayolam, blessed be Hashem who created the world, Baruch Hu, Baruch Hu Azabarejus, Baruch Hu Azabarejus, Baruch Hu Azabarejus, That's not a technical structure of a blessing, of, of a, we'll call it a bracha. The bracha only starts, as he points out later on, is now Lelcha Hashem Lekhen Onu B'Shuach Azimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimim
um, then it, it does a number of very important, very important, we'll call unifying, centralizing um, missions. One of them is to conquer Jerusalem. Jerusalem remained at this point in time partially unconquered. There are two parts of Jerusalem, the high and the lower city. Is, Jerusalem is always a place of conflict um, because of its significance and its centrality. He conquers it from the Jebusites. And, and, and assumes he makes his palace there. So he makes so that's the central place of Israel. He knows the base of militia is to be built there. Um, he reestablishes the line of Shaul Amenech. So he, he, he takes his, his grandson, Mephibosheth, to his table, supports him as he promised. And then the next thing he does is he tries to get the Aaron to bring, be brought back to Jerusalem. And it comes with, with pain because the first time they attempt this, it's, uh, it's a disaster. It's brought on a cart. It slips off the cart, and, um, and um, Uzziah tries to save it. Uzziah dies immediately on the spot. The tragedy interrupts the proceedings. They stop the proceeding on trying to get the Aaron to Yerushalayim. He diverts it to the, to, to the house of Ovid Eromagiti, who's a, who's a levy, who's a very special person. And, his, and in the meantime, it stays in his house for a number of months. And Ovid Eromagiti has an incredible blessing in his house. Um, his, his children and grandchildren all become pregnant and the, the crops are all successful when the Aaron's in his house. And Daramelech sees that this is a good time. The way that they did it the first time around wasn't good enough. So he now shifts his perspective and instead of having it that is being brought on a cart, which is the way he did it beforehand, he has a whole procession in the Levia, bring it and they take sacrifices every few steps. It's a whole big business. And when Daramelech successfully is able to bring the Aaron into Jerusalem, this is what he sees as the precursor to building the Besamigdash. That's the next request he makes. He sings the song. This is the song that David Melech sings as the Aaron is entering Jerusalem from Givon. So it's a, it's a very, very, very powerful moment. And we quote this song, which is the Hodul Hashem Kiru Vishmoi, Hodul Vamim Ali this whole episode. It's worthwhile noting, I just put the full text over here, actually in color in the notes on page three to four, that there actually are three sections of the song, each with their own theme, in so much so that in fact they actually become three separate Mizmore Tehillim. Dalamadalamelech also captures this not only in what he said, as is recorded in Dirayamim, but also it is captured in three separate Mizmor Tehillim, Mizmor Kufhei, Mizmor Tzadivov, and Mizmor Kufvov. Tzaditess you should be familiar with because that's what we say on a Friday night as part of Kabbalah Shabbos. That's, um, that's the second part. That originates actually in David Melech saying this. There's a large question in the is what precipitated what? Did David Melech compose these Tehillim beforehand and then said them? Or was this spontaneously said at the time that the Aaron was brought in and then later on he, so to speak, turned those into a more finessed version in Tehillim for posterity? An interesting discussion in and of itself. But this, this is coming from a very fascinating event. It is worthwhile noting that the, per, the, that the Anshik Nesodola, when they were sorting out Pesachadizim, did not quote Tehillim. They did not take, take the, we'll call it, sanitized version of Adab Menach put it for posterity. They took the raw emotional version of Adab Menach saying it at the time of the Aaron actually being brought to Jerusalem. Which, if, the, if you think about that from that perspective, what it's trying to trigger in us is the same emotions. We're trying to, so to speak, reflect on the same glory as the Aaron enters Jerusalem, as we, so to speak, get to this moment where God has allowed us to do something right, where we're able to fix the many last number of years and fix things and bring them into Jerusalem. It's a very powerful moment which is occurring here. And we're referring to that moment, which is the first two paragraphs of Haidu. It's all one section, dear Ayamim. After Haidu, by the way, just there are a number of psukim which are quoted, um, which is for Romamu, those two last two paragraphs, Vurachum um, and Romamu over there, those are all just a number of psukim. Pasuk after pasuk after pasuk, all as a conglomerate, it's not actually one section in Tanakh. Yes? Question, like, in Hodu, I see like Yitzhak is spelled differently. So what, yep. Why, how does that work? 
Good question. It's actually that, that that's actually if you notice in the brachas of the bris, we code that pasuk with the yislak with the with the, the sin as opposed to the tzadi. Um, and there's a very beautiful explanation. I don't remember offhand what what the, what the why it is that yislak spelled differently in that case. When why specifically we quote that by bris mila as well. I mean daily yislak right. We 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 quote it over there. I don't remember offhand, but please please remind me afterwards. I do want to. I, I do have it written down. Um, so, but be as the mate. So, it, it, without going into the theme itself, and if anybody's interested in 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 doing a little more on this, please check. I take a look at Nachyami on Durayom Beis Perakterzayin, where I went through this in greater depth as to what the actual meanings of these three different themes are. Why do I chose these themes specifically right here? But it's for us if we're trying to try to do this, we should be aware of the fact that what the Ashik Nasser Dollar trying to do is trying to evoke in us the same emotions of that emo- that, uh, that 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 uh, arrival. Just one note over here, halachically speaking, because if what we see, at least the way I see it and break it up, as the article breaks it up as four paragraphs of the Hoidu, the first two are actually from this, the last two are a conglomerate of Psukim, they halachically have different statuses. So the Hoidu we'll see over here has precedence of the last two because it actually is one unit of what Davon Amalek was saying when the Iron got brought to Jerusalem. Move on to the next thing, which is Mizmor Latoida. Mizmor Latoida has a unique status, it floats around backwards and forwards in our, in our davening for a number, a number of times. We generally say it as part of the Pesukah de Zimra, but not always. What's the rules? So the Shulchan Aruch tells us the end of Simon Nun Aleph. Nun Aleph is where all the halachas of Pesukah de Zimra, or most of the halachas of Pesukah de Zimra appear in Arachaim 51. The Shulchan Aruch says in the last Sif, which is Sif Tess, you should say in a state of, um, of, of with, with music. It should be said with, it should be sung. Um, all the songs are going to be disappear in the future except for this Mizmor, Mizmor Atada, Mizmor Kuf 100. We don't say this on Shabbos. You'll notice it's omitted on our Shabbos Pesukah de Zimra. That's what the Torah says. Um, he quotes a number of days we don't say it. What are the days? Shabbos, Yom Tov, Pesach, Cholamoy, Pesach, Erev Pesach, and Erev Yom Kippur. Why? What's the reason? So the, the, the focus, as the Ramo explains, is that it is supposed to re- reflect bringing the Korban Torah, the Thanksgiving offering. Now, the Korban Torah came with 40 loaves of bread. To, um, if we're going to follow it directly as having brought the Korban Torah, you're not allowed to eat bread on Pesach, or Erev Pesach for that matter, um, after a certain hour. So therefore we don't say Mizmor Latoda as a reflection of as if we were bringing the Korban Tada. So, so much so that therefore even on an Erev Yom Kippur you don't say it. Why not on an Erev Yom Kippur? Because I now have been, I've now, so to speak, contracted the Mount of Tada. I would have been able to eat the Korban Tada, which is two days and a night. So therefore, I'm not doing it as if I'm bringing the Korban. That's how significant it is. Which is why I drink Cholamoyed Sukkot, because I'm allowed to bring it, but not drink Cholamoyed Pesach, because even on Cholamoyed Pesach, I can bring a Korban, but I can't eat Chometz. I don't bring it on Shabbos and Yom Tov. I don't say it on Shabbos and Yom Tov, because I can't bring a voluntary Korban on Shabbos and, uh, and, and Yom Tov. It's, it follows the rules of as if we're bringing the Korban Torah itself. Remarkable perspective. Just to, just to appreciate that it's a very, very short mizmor. But it, uh, but it, it has a lot of power. You should just, uh, just worthwhile noting that it actually reflects thanking Akash Baruch Hu in three modalities, which is through action, through, um, through action, speech, and thought, which are the three modes of expression of a human being, um, which are described. Yeah, there's a lot of very, very fascinating Torah. If we were to go pasuk by pasuk, the the kri uksiv that there's written one way, said another way, the loy loy, 
right, um, or put all together is Elul. There's a lot of really interesting stuff that uh, to do with Mizmor uh, Torah, but it actually reflects the same fact that uh, why is it that all the Shiras are going to disappear except for this one? Because the Midrash says all the Korbanos are going to disappear except for the Korban Torah. Um, part of that is because um, the Thanksgiving is, is a necessary component in, in, human, in human psyche, but also part of it is because Hashem's Rachamim, Hashem's Chesed never, ne- never ends. Meaning Hashem is still going to be kind to us, even the times when perhaps, where, when, when reality will change. So uh, there's a very uh, interesting observation by Robert Emmons, who wrote a book called Thanks, How Practicing Gratitude Can Make You Happier. Very worthwhile uh, read. Um, and uh, he makes an observation that Thanksgiving has two interesting components. The first one is more, um, I would say, perhaps well known. The second is, is extremely profound, and I doubt that most people have, have thought about this. The first is, is, is the following, in, in um, the top of page five. In my own thinking about gratitude, I found it helpful, very helpful, to, go to conceive it in terms of two stages. First, gratitude is the acknowledgement of goodness in one's life. In gratitude, we say yes to life. We affirm that we have to, uh, that all things taken together, life is good and has elements that make it worth living. The acknowledgement that we have received something gratifies us either by its presence or by the effort that the giver went to by choosing in, into choosing it. Right? So it's beautiful. There are lots of terrible things in life, but all in all, everything taken all together. Thank God. That's the first the first part. The second part is where it is is a profound observation. Second, gratitude is recognizing that the source of this goodness lies at least partially outside of self. The object of gratitude is other directed. No one, 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 one can be grateful to other people, to God, to animals, but never to oneself. You notice that? You never say thank you, I mean, unless you're a real narcissist. <laughs> I'm so grateful for myself. Right, so he says, this is one significant way in which gratitude differs from other emotional dispositions. A person can be angry at himself, pleased with herself, proud of himself, feel guilty of about wrongdoing, but it would be bizarre to say that a person felt grateful to herself. An interesting observation. Gratitude is always outward facing. Rabbi, uh, the Pachad Yitzhak actually says this. Uh, the Rav Hutner has talked about this on, on Hanukkah. There's two elements. And uh, the, 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 actually the word Todah itself comes from the word to thank and also to admit. Which is why people find it so difficult to say thank you. Because in a certain sense what you're essentially doing psychologically is you're saying that I was deficient and I needed you. You're necessary in my life. But I don't like to say I need people. I don't like to need people. So that's why I don't say thank you. So the, uh, that's why, in fact, the, the Bahad Yitzhak says that in Moedim, which is where we focus on this in the Shemona Esher itself, and Shekinah so to speak, took Mizmorotada and used it for Moedim, what, uh, w- there, there's two stages. There's Moedim and there's Noida. Why did you say it twice? He says the one is acknowledgement, that's admission. The next one is recognition. He reverses it in terms of what Rebbe Robert Emmons was saying over here. But the first is it's necessary to recognize you're deficient, somebody else helped you, and then thank you, Hashem, for being in this place. <coughs> Don't tell you? Good, excellent. Good, excellent. So Dr. Yoda, who was born out of Thanksgiving, yes. could admit. Excellent. With this message, it's very beautiful. We need a Mashiach, even less of love, it will be beautiful. In order to get there, so to speak, even after, after Mashiach, it will be a message. Beautiful. He cannot be Mashiach. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful observation. Beautiful observation. Right? In order to, to actually get to Mashiach, because Torah will be there afterwards, it's a necessary ingredient all the way through. Beautiful, beautiful observation. So it really has a lot of significance. I think the, the, the takeaway from this part of, the, the, of it is that it literally re- reflects the Korban Torah in so many ways, which is why it is not said on these days as well. Lots more to talk about. Yeah, Tilly. Ah, good question. 
So there, there's a general question, and Siv asks a very famous question. He says that the, the amount of time is too short for the amount of stuff that comes with it, right? So it's, a day and a, it's two, days and a, two days and a night to eat 40 loaves of bread, now, uh, however big your family is. One day and a night. Right, sorry, one day and a night. So it's a very, very short amount of time. So, so you know, I, you know some, some families go through a lot of food, but at the end of the day, that's, that's a lot. So the, 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 so, the point is that you're supposed to invite So the Nitziv the, the 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 says that the whole point of Thanksgiving is Thanksgiving is meant to be outward facing. You have to invite people in. So I assume that Chomets is one of those things that you invite people in for. Be it as a maid. Very, 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 very beautiful Chomets. No, see? So anyway, so that, let's, let's go a little weiter. We're going to move now from, from it to, there's a, para, a, set, a set of psukim in Yichavad. Yichavad isn't its own paragraph. If you look through it, it's actually a number of different psukim together. It would be fascinating to put the theme together, but it's not actually one unit of uh, psukim. We then move into Ashrei. The Gemara tells us a very beautiful thing, that uh, in Brachos, person says, Ashrei, which is what Tila Dalai, that's where it starts, which is Tilim 145, the 141st Psalm Three times a day, you promise to be a world, uh, get the world to come. Do we do that? Oh yes, we do it twice in Shachris, once at Mincha. Okay, so that's why it's instituted that way. Why? The Gemara says, my timer, il ma nishun ta'asya ba'alif beis, neyma ashe tamimei derech, ta'asya tabatamiya apin. If you're going to say because there's the alif beis, then we have, uh, we have eight, time, eight fold of that tilim kufiyo test. Now folks, I'm sure everybody's very thankful <laughs> that that suggestion was not taken in Absalom Zimra, because that's the longest mizmor in Tehillim. Okay? Ela mishum di isbe posech zdecha. Maybe it's because it has posech zdecha, which is a very significant kapasak. So then the, 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 so the, he says, Nemo, Halela Godel. Then let's say the Hodu of the 26 lines as well, which is 130, well, Psalm 136. Why, why do we do it? The reason why Ashi is so important is there's two components which are significant Aleph Beis and Posech Zdecha. So you say, that sounds a little random. What are those, what, how, how do those two pieces come together? A lot, of, a lot of different ways of looking at it. The first way of looking at it, it was going to skip one source, is Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch at the top of page 7 says, he says, well, he quotes in the middle of it, which is four lines in. He says, its special characteristic is the alphabetical arrangement of its verses, which indicates the psalmist's intention to facilitate its recital from memory. So whenever you see Aleph Beis, it's meant to be that you can automatically know that this is the way, these are all the things I need to say, with a mission of what? Of the Nun. That's the Nun is, is hidden in the Samach sentence. Um, or, for, or of further significance is the statement of Poseach Zedekha Masbiyelach Lacharatzon, contained in verse 16, which conveys to us the main theme of the entire psalm, and that is the divine providence cares for every living thing. Okay, so the, it, it's important, this is what's called Hashkacha Klaris. Okay, just to appreciate this. This is general providence, that God cares about everything. Lacharatzon refers to an amoeba too. Just, just putting that out there, okay? So that God is, 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 is in charge and interested in the entire ecosystem coming together. That's part of it. So committal to memory and also the, the, the idea of, of, of Ashkocha Klal. It's this large idea, almost like wherever you look, you're going to see God. Wherever you look, Hashem's in the part of it. Rav Kook takes us one step further on a Kabbalistic direction. And his commentary on the Gomorrah, on this Gomorrah in Einaya, he points out that there are two ways that we need to come close to Hashem. One is, is uh, uh, wait, let's just look at his words, the, the first section. He says in source 11, reversing one page, um, skipping the middle of the section. <laughs> if you want to come to full, uh, full we'll call perfection, you need two things. Number one is, <laughs> you need to subsume yourself in spiritual ideas, spiritual energy, which is to be found in the Torah. And number two is, <laughs> 
that a person is not bothered by the involvement in this world. So if you think about this, he says those are the two components that the Gemara is saying. The one is the Aleph Beza, which is, so to speak, subsuming oneself in the truth of the Torah, which is supposed to resonate in ourselves. We're supposed to find that energy. But the other is that we're not being distracted all the time by, ex- by external bothers which are this world itself. Now, he says, because let's say a person wants to, a person wants to really understand truth. A person wants to really get closer. So one spends some time, but one has a meeting, one has a job, one has kids, one has family. There's a lot of things that one's involved with. So it's harder to get to that, that, to that space to, um, of, of coming closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu with both of those in the way. So we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is Hashem, take care of us, that we're able to focus, to meditate on you, and we're able to use all these, all these uh, what, what we seem to be disturbances as part of your service. And number two is that we can actually focus on your service. I would say our generation is the opposite problem. Our generation has, what, it, what, what I would say is too much bitachon, too much, so to speak, freedom from all of the, all, all of the troubles with the not enough Aleph Beza. You need to say, the, the, the amount of free time that our generation has had has created an entire industry of entertainment in order to fill those gaps without filling it with Aleph Beza. It's, it's, it's the opposite. Meaning to say, the average American has so much time, that's why there's so much TV, that's why there's so, so, so much of a social media, is because it's filling the void of what you do with all that extra time. So, but be it as it may, these are the two components necessary to be able to come close to Akash Baruch. And he does make a note, Uvi Aldusi, he says at the very bottom, Amarti Kim, when I was Kiddush Olam, Moresh Shavach Shiesh Boy Aleph Besa. He says, maybe the two, and he says, when I was younger, I used to say, now, Rav Cook was writing this in his, in his early 30s, or no, sorry, 20s, when he was a Rav in a, in a city called Boisk in Lithuania in the 1890s. So he says, when I was younger, <laughs> I used to say, Right, that, that this refers to the idea that if I see Hashem's hashkacha in the world, I can see His letters through the world as well. Meaning to say, I can see Hashem's writing on the wall, so to speak, when I see His providence for the entire world, that every ecosystem looks after itself. That's the way He used to view it before coming to this, uh, this later development. Anyways, be it as it may, this is, this is significant. It's significant as well, halachically speaking, because we'll see that if a person does not have focused in Ashrei up to the point of Yishtabach later on in Davening, one has to go back to Poseh HaZadach, because it's the central part. It's the most significant Poseh in all Asher is the most significant psalm, and Poseh is the most significant of it, um, that, um, of all this that we recognize that Kosh Baruch gives to everybody. Now, the five halalukas, you'll know afterwards, why do, why do we put those five halalukas right after Asher? Very simple, because David Menach already did that. So if you look at Tehillim, Tehillim goes Kuf Mem Hey, 145. How many Mizmori Tehillim do we have today? 150. So 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150 are the five halalukas. Right, so what we are essentially doing is we're, is we're cutting and pasting, we're lifting all of those six mizmorim from 145 to 150, Ashrei being the lead up and leading up into the, next, into the next five. Moving in the theme of providence, what Rav Hirsch does, and it's worthwhile taking a look at Rav Hirsch's Siddur, where he explains how each of them are focusing on a different element of, of a divine providence. So starting off, Ashrei is, we'll call it divine providence on the sum total of all living things. Then we move down to the first Alilukah, which, which focuses on all those who need it. Then Israel, he goes through each of the, what each of those next five are doing in, t- in terms of how the focus of the providence is working. So it's supposed to be focusing on different elements or different zones of the world. The Arach Ashokan does point out an interesting point, that they are actually meant to be linked in one chain, which is why they all begin and end with the word, Halalukah. It's almost as if they're meant to be, so to speak, one train of thought. It's not as if they're different paragraphs. They're all supposed to be connected so much so that he says that's the reason why we add an extra positive to the end of 
um, Ashrei. We call Ashrei, but it's not really Ashrei, it's really Tehillah David. And what's the last pasuk in Tehillah David? It ends with the, the, the letter Taf, right? Which is, That's it, that's the end. What do we do? We add another pasuk from another Mizmor in Tehillim, which is from Kutes Vog. Why are we doing that? So now it has, so to speak, the glue, which attaches it to the first of the Halalukas, which is what it carries on, right? So we're, we're trying to link all these six. They actually, the glue between each one, the interface between each of them is the word Halaluka. So the, the, the Arach HaShulchan suggests each of them focusing on a different area in which Hashem's providence is relevant in this world. So worthwhile going through each one of them, as Rav Hirsch explains it in his center, as to the relevance of why each one. First, those who need, then Israel, and each, each of the different next stages as well. We now move on to Baruch Hashem Amen, which is a very short paragraph. It actually captures the psalm. Psukim usually said the end of a book of Tehillim. There are five books of Tehillim, and at the end of most of them, it ends with a paragraph which looks very much like Baruch Hashem Lanam Amen Vamein, and it is almost capturing the end of Tehillim because we have a micro ending of Tehillim right there, right at the end of Tehillim Kuf Nun, which is Halukel um, um, the, the last one at the end. We then move into Vayavarach David. Vayavarach David actually reflects also another moment in history. Most people are not aware of this. I would say if anybody really wants to have an incredible uh, feeling of euphoria, it's worthwhile reading all of Dirayamim Aleph, Perak Choftes. The last Perak in Dirayamim Aleph. It's the most remarkable moment um, which is uh, recorded there. We are reading the end of that, para, of, of that chapter in Vayavarach David. But what precipitates that? So listen to the paragraph that comes beforehand. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. This is the end of David Amalek's life. He's now trying to initiate his son Shlomo Melech into the throne. And he says the following in Perak Choftes. I'm going to read just uh, uh, um, three of the Psukim at the beginning of it. He says, Vayame David Amalek lekola kahal. Shlomo Bani echod bachar boyalokim narvarach. Hashem has chosen my son Shlomo, he's not the firstborn, but he's chosen to be the king after me, even though he's a very young, um, supple young man, he's 12 years old at the time. He can't do this himself. He's young, he's not going to be able to make this building, meaning the base of Mikdash, right by himself. I've done everything I possibly can since David Melech to prepare, because he wasn't allowed to make the base of Mikdash. I've amassed all of this. By the way, just as an interesting aside, Shlomo Melech uses none of it. He does his own accumulation. Why that is? Interesting discussion. But now that Melech says, I amassed this. And he goes on the next book to describe what he's amassed. He gives you amounts and numbers and coffers. He tells the whole people that what, he, what he's already done, all the, the trade and the conquest which he's done in order to, to amass all this. The last passage over here, which is passage test at the bottom of the page 8, but, um, he, says, he, he says the following, um, that um, um, the following, so David Melech shows his cards. He says how much he's collected. And everybody then starts giving more money. Right? And David Melech is incredibly, incredibly um, happy about this. And then, Then David Melech blesses the people. That's what we're quoting in our, in our Pesukit Zimra. David Melech's response to the people giving their donations to the Beis Amigdash, even though he can't actually finish it himself. Now, just in, in the Malbim asks an interesting question over here is that, generally speaking, there's not a good way to do fundraisers. Generally speaking, what you do is you're like this. We have nothing. We're starting with a budget of negative 10, negative 10. We need to get to, you know, plus 130. And, uh, and uh, we need you. We need you. Donald does the opposite. What's the Minach saying? I have it all. <laughs> we don't need you. Please donate. Right? It's just strange. It's a strange way of doing, of doing fundraising. Uh, but people do. So it's obviously successful. So the Malbim says, Donald realizes, this is, the, this, is, this is an unparalleled moment in history. 
This is a moment in history where ultimately you have the, the opportunity of building, not the Mishkan, the Migdash. Do you want to be part of this or not? That's what Davinach is essentially saying to the people. When people realize this and they give Basimcha, not out of guilt, not on negativity, not because their mother said they should, but they're doing it because they really believe and they're happy, that's the Vayavarek David. You notice, of course, that we give Tzedakah during this paragraph, right? Yeah, the, the, this paragraph. But where's it coming from? It's coming from this episode here. Now, you'll notice, sequentially speaking, we've moved onwards, right? The first quote, uh, event we quoted in Hodul was when the Aaron was coming to Jerusalem. Now, we're much further than this. Now, at the end of David Melech's life, where he's now amassed all the wealth necessary to build the base of medicine, he says to people, help me, and they help him. Bless Hashem in front of the people. It's a beautiful, beautiful observation of, yeah, this is the, the culmination of David Melech's life, his life work in such a successful way. We then move on to the next paragraph, is not the same paragraph, folks. Completely different time in history. We all we fast forward um, over here 500 years between these two paragraphs. This is not a Pasuk in Tehillim, it's not a Pasuk in Nevi'im, it's a Pasuk in Ksuvim. And we now enter into a stage in Sefer Nehemiah, right? Which is uh, Nehemiah Perek Tess. What's going on over here? We now come to a different stage in Jewish history, just to, to appreciate the movement that's happened right now. The next stage in Jewish history is, is that the base of Medesha is in ruins. It's been destroyed by the Babylonians. Israel has been, uh, the, the nation of Israel has been exiled in Babylon for most of the time. And uh, after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, the Persians take over. The Persians give the mandate and ability to, for the, the nation of Israel to go back. And a very small amount of them, 42,000 odd, Graham, Graham go in a group and there's a few smaller aliyah, so a few thousand here and there afterwards. And we now have the dual leadership of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the Persian governor of Judea. He's a, he's a Jewish person of, of uh, impeccable stature. And his, his religious leader, whose name is Ezra. And the two of them come back. Ezra and Nehemiah builds the walls of Jerusalem. The attacks have been happening from all the local inhabitants who, who claim they're the natural inhabitants, even though they really weren't. They were moved there during exile. It seems that certain things repeat themselves. They want the status quo. And, and Israel's building the walls. Well, how could you build the walls? So they, they, um, the, Nehemiah manages to do this under military protection, builds the walls of Jerusalem. They're, the base of Midrash has been revamped. This is the new base of Midrash. It's a much more humble base of Midrash. But people are assimilated and, um, and intermarried. No, no, no connection, to, very little connection to Judaism. So what they do is, is they get up and it's Rosh Hashanah, this year when they finally have established everything, security is, 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 has been achieved. They now get up and Ezra and Nehemiah um, build a platform outside the base of Midrash, sorry, in the court of the base of Midrash, and they read the Torah. They read the Sefer Torah. People haven't heard the Torah for a while, it seems, because they are flawed. People are, are, are taken by this in such a way. If you look at the Psukim over here, just in Nehemiah Perekhes, which is where all, all this happens, Apostle Test on page 10, well, yeah, um, they read the, they read the, the whole Torah. Um, and all the extra things, the creoxives, the, the cantillations. People are floored, they're crying, they're weeping. And he says, no, it's Rosh Hashanah, you shouldn't be crying. But people are clearly so taken by the Torah, they haven't heard this, they haven't thought about their spiritual prioritization in life, so much so that they, 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 they're, they're flawed. He says to them, go home, have a, have a good feast, give, give feast to those who haven't yet prepared for themselves, come back tomorrow. The next day they come back and they say, you know, there's this, there's this thing called Sukkot which is coming up. You should celebrate Sukkot and they all make Sukkot in Jerusalem like they never had for a very long time. Very beautiful description. Then after the circus is finished, after festivities, then Ezra and Nehemiah call them in and they say, we're going to set things up again properly over here. We're going to make this 
Right, we're going to make a new covenant here, not to be confused with the New Testament. Right, it's the same law. It's just being re Nobody's dropping any laws here. Okay, so they now make the new, the new covenant with his people. This is the second commonwealth. This is the new base of Middash, the second base of Middash, where the people who are intermarried, they're part of the new bris is, part of the new covenant is, divorce the assimilated spouses, <laughs> the, the, the non-Jewish spouses who you've married. Many people. The Kohen God's children are intermarried. At this point in time, just understand where we are, right? Yeshua Kohen Gadol, the previous generation, that means to say he has children intermarried. Okay, so this is all happening at this, at this point in time. And we read, That whole, these whole two paragraphs of the Chorus and Abris are Nehemiah, Perektes, the renewed covenant. Again, notice the sequential arc here. David Melech bringing the Aaron to Yerushalayim, that's Hoidu. Then we get to, that's um, Kolakal. That is um, the, the, the precipitation of building the Beis Amidash. Now we're building the second Beis Amidash. In our which is this moment, this emotional moment, which is being captured over here. And finally, then we get to the final Shira, which is Shira Sayyam, which is fascinating because it seems out of order. <laughs> it seems that that should have come first, right? That sequentially speaking, that historically happened way earlier. Very, very, very fascinating as to why that is. It's worthwhile noting, Kabbalistically speaking, that um, a number of the Kabbalistic sources quoting the Zohar Kodesh. Um, say that a person who says this shira with the full intent, that person will achieve um, atonement for all of their sins. Dr. Yeh gave, gave a beautiful shira on this topic on the eighth day of Pesach as to why this is. What is the sin that's being atoned for and why does shira help, help atone for this? Very fascinating topic in and of itself. I will say one, one element that, whether it's that the, the nation of Israel left the sea in a, in a state of they wanted to get the treasures by the sea. There was many complications at the time. Um, the, whether it's that when a person really says Shira, in a certain sense they have this unique connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's this spiritual connection to Hashem, as the Shemesh Shmuel says, I would suggest, based on Rav Hirsch, the following observation. And this is in Source 16, where he points out that the portion belonging to with, uh, the beginning with Atahu down to um, Azim originated at the time when the temple or built already lay, lay in ruins, and the nation had returned from Babylonian captivity only a short time before. It was necessary to imbue the nation with a renewed consciousness of its origin and its destiny. That's for Chores and Abris. And to persuade it to make sacrifice in the fulfillment of its mission. The same almighty power which created the world also preserves it, and all the creatures and the heavenly hosts moving in the orbits which it assigned, uh, which it assigned them are its servants. Skipping to the next paragraph. These two paragraphs from the trans, uh, form the transition to the very first hymn ever sung in praise of God's mighty deeds, the Shira Sayyam, with which we close up Sukkot Zimra, a song which concludes on a note of confidence that God will rule the forever and ever, even as he reigned in the Reed Sea long ago. Which means, as the Rav Hirsch understands it is, we're not going backwards, we're going forwards. We go, bring the Ark to Jerusalem, Hoidu. By Varach David is, as the base of Minash is being fundraised for, then we have Atahu Hashem Elohim, that is referring to the rebuilding the second base of Minash. The Shira is actually focused on Hashem Yunach Lalam which is the future Hashem we have a hope in the redemption, which is why it is the place where all our sins are going to be redeemed, because we're talking about the future. If we believe in the fact that there is a future, that there is actually payment for our actions, for the good and the bad, we know that there's going to be an ultimate redemption. That's where we get the Mechilas Savonis, if we're willing to believe in that. So the Ark of Sukkot Zimra is looking backwards to look forwards. That's the way it's, it's structured in terms of these four events, putting, putting it all together. We now conclude with just finishing all the, the pieces over here, is Yishtabach. Yishtabach, again, is not a Posuk. It is, it is created by Anshay Knesset Zagdala. 
unlike Baruch Sheomar, we don't have a tradition that it was a, a heavenly document. So where does it come from and how do they establish that? So it turns out that there are two different traditions which are quoted in the Kavachayim. The Kavachayim Rav Pilagi has an observation that it could be that this in fact was composed as early on as Avraham Avinu, this the notion of Yishtabach or Shlomo Melech. How do you know? He says, well, it's all in the words. Because if you look at it in source 20, he says, it's obvious that Avram Avinu prayed Nusach Svarad. I'm just pointing out. Okay, and says, 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 says the Kavachayim that uh, he says, this is a beautiful pshat. However, it is not, says the Kavachayim, my, my tradition. The Kavachayim says, Omnam ani kibalti He says, rather the tradition I have, he says, is, um, that that's the Rosh Hashanah of Shlomo Melech. So that's the, the notion of so it is of of, uh, of this. Whether it was instituted earlier or formalized by Anshak Nezadona, nonetheless, it is the conclusion of it. It's worthwhile noting that there's a. It actually just noticed in the the Rav Kook's a beautiful observation by Rav, uh, Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, and I think this should be a comfort to all of us when we read Yishtabach. We say Aboycher b'Shirei Zimra. How do we translate that? Hashem chooses the Shirei Zimra. What's Shirei? The songs of. Of of Zimra of 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 our heartfelt praise of our Kodesh Baruch Hu. Rav Simcha Bono Pshischa says that perhaps we should reread it as Haboicher b'Shiure Zimra. What does Shir or Shirai mean? The little remnants, the leftovers. He says sometimes we get through Pesukah Zimra, and it just wasn't that morning. Rabbi come late. The the Baal is really fast. We we have Kavona for one and a half seconds, and then we're there, and suddenly we're at Yishtabach and we're catching up. You choose even the remaining little pieces that, that we didn't necessarily get to the, by the rest of it. That's where we, that's where we are. That's, that's, so to speak, the humility with which we, 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 we present ourselves in front of our Kodesh Baruch at the end of the, of the Bezuk Zimra, because it's not always so easy. But however, even though Rav Simcha of Shisra points this out, I'd like to say what the Shulchan Aruch says about this. And that is the Shulchan Aruch says in Source 22, it is important to say, this is a halach in Shukhanach, it is important to say, Pesukah de Zimra, slowly, benachas. Um, it's important to say, spend the time doing this, and if that means to say coming early, you know, in the, in the Y.U. based Medrash, when I was the, 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 had the opportunity of uh, 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 acting as the head gabai, the diving there on a regular morning was 50 to 55 minutes long. You're like, wow, that's almost double what we have right now. So we, we spoke to Rav Shechter, we said to Rav Shechter, perhaps we can speed it up a little bit just because we want to make sure that more people come because it was usually quite empty because people wanted to go to the 30 40 minute davenings right so we said Rosh maybe maybe we can make it a little fast he says he says i don't understand i already come 10 minutes early to be able to say pesukah zimri in time does he understand 55 minutes he was coming 10 minutes early to be able to to be able to be able to do the pesukah zimri in time this is this is what the Shulchan Aruch says. This is, this is where we're supposed to be over here. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to be able to understand this, um, to be able to appreciate this. A few basic halachas in the what, and then we'll conclude with this. Is um, is the following? Can one speak during Pesukah Zimra? So because we say a bracha at the beginning and the end, Baruch Shalom and Yishtabach, that means to say anything in the middle is considered between the bracha. It's in the middle of the bracha. You're not allowed to interrupt for uh, for, for for anything in between. Um, what things can we say in the middle? So the only things we can say are a very short list. Amen. Baruchu, Yeheshmei Rabba, and, and Kriyashma. Let's say the community is saying Kriyashma, you can say Kriyashma with them. But you cannot say things even like Baruchu, Baruch Shema. Let's say the community is up to the Chazar Sashat, and you're in Pesukah Zimri, and you've already said Baruch Shema, you cannot say Baruchu, Baruch Shema. And let's say a person has to take a, a bathroom break, one cannot say 
Ashriyatza um, at that point, Yonah has, has to wait. If one's not saying Baruch Baruch Shema Ashrei, it probably means that the sports score, sports scores are also out, right? So it wasn't brought down in in, in the in the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, but I would assume that it falls into the same category, if not if not worse. Now, may one skip parts of the Pesukim of Zimros, like Beis Yosef, that's Rav Yosef Kara, um, in, in, in his precursor to the Shulchan Aruch, says the following thing. He says that the Magid told him, who's the Magid? So he had, a, he, had a, he had an interaction, he had a nightly interaction with some sort of specter, some divine specter. And he wrote a book called Magid Meisharim about the conversations he had with this divine agent. You know, he wrote the Shulchan Aruch as well, but he was also deeply entrenched in spirituality. And this Magid told him that if you skip pieces, it's like you're, you, uh, the word he says is that you're changing the Ptinoros. There's certain channels of energy and it was structured in a specific way. If you start playing with those channels, it's not so good. Right, so ordinarily one is not supposed to skip Sukkot Zimra. However, there are situations in which one finds oneself where one will maybe be late to Shul and one may need to skip, uh, skip uh, Sukkot Zimra or parts thereof. What are those circumstances which warrant this? So the, the, the ideas, or the cases which one is brought down in the Halacha are if one is going to miss Tefillah B'Tzibur, that means davening at the same time of the Shemona Esri with the Tzibur, or even saying Kriya Shema with them according to, according to Zam, or if one needs to, let's say one is, one is a job teaching Torah, even going get into one's job and one's going to miss it. Now, technically speaking, just want to point out, the antidote to this is just come earlier, right? We're talking about, yeah, we're not talking about how I'm institutionalizing my life. Right, we're talking about how, in a specific circumstance, what I need to do if this is the case. Okay, just the difference between the Chachil and Bidyevet. So what why may one skip if one is in a situation of triage? Let's say one comes in, one knows that the speed of what the cousin is at. By the time one puts on one's tillin, if one's a man, and one is getting to the point of Yishtabach, one knows that one has three minutes. So what can one do in three minutes? Right, so the, 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 the way it's, it is described is the, the following. is The most basic part of Pesukah de Zimra is... Baruch Shaman Yishtabach and Ashrei. You can't do Baruch Shaman Yishtabach without anything in the middle because you're not giving any of the Shirei Zimra, which we talked about in the middle. The Ashrei is the central part. The Posech is being the central part of that. But let's say a little more time. Let's say you have four minutes, three and a half minutes. What do you do? You add to it the fifth of the five Mizmore Tehillim of, of, the, of the Halalukas. So you do Ashrei and Halalukah number five. You have a little more time. Ashrei number three, number five, and the, uh, and the, uh, the Baruch Shaman Yishtabach. You have a little more time. You do all the Halalukas, right? Because it's all one unit connected to the to Ashrei. A little more time, you do also Vayavarech David. A little more, you have the Hoidu, the first two paragraphs of Hoidu. That's in terms of the triage of doing this. If it's on Shabbos or Yom Tov, then one would need to do Ashrei and Nishmas. Those are basic necessities for the Pesukah de Zimra on uh, on, uh, on, Sh- uh, on, on Shabbos and Yom Tov. What happens if I missed it altogether? I mean, say, let's say I'm coming to Shul and they're up to Kriya Shema at this point in time. So should I say, um, or Kriya Shema? The answer is you go straight, you do, there's certain brachas you have to do, right? So you need to do Elakai Neshama, Netilas Shadayim, right? The ones that, uh, and Berkas Torah, things that you lose otherwise if, if done afterwards. And then one goes straight into Kriya Shema. Can I do Pesukah after davening? You may, there are those who say one shouldn't, um, but one may, but certainly without the brachas as well. I remember there was a guy, there was a guy I was in Yeshua with, who used to quote his Rebbe and say, I would, uh, his Rebbe used to say, I would shudder to do, to, to, to do Pesukah de Zimra after davening. Now the problem was that his Rebbe also would shudder to ever come late to davening. But this guy took the, the best of both worlds. So he never came in on time and he also was shuddered to ever do it. He took half the statement. That's not the way it's meant to be. Right? So um, one is allowed to say Pesukah de Zimra afterwards. Um, um, however, one should not say with a bracha. There is one exception to this. That all of Pesukah de Zimra are Pesukim, except for, forgetting Baruch Shaman and Yishtabach, except for, Hashem elach, Hashem olach, Hashem yunoch, lalove, that's not a pasuk. That's quoting three pasukim. You shouldn't say that 
without, outside the context of davening. So if one's saying it after the davening, one should not say the, those will quote that, that, the, the, those statements because it's not a pasuk. It's, it's a pieces of a pasuk. It's meant to be a tefillah. And if it's not acting as a tefillah, there's a question as to whether one should be able to say it. And what happens if I weren't, wasn't concentrating during Pesuk Zimra? I wake up just before Yishtabach. If I wake up and I just realize that, I, that I've just been traveling mindlessly through Pesuk Zimra, I still need to go back and say, till end of Ashrei, because that's how significant it is. If I've already finished Yishtabach, it's too late. I've missed the train today. Um, what happens if there's no minion? This happens sometimes once caught in a place where there's no minion for uh, and one wants to wait for Kriya Shema, so one starts doing Pesuk Zimra. So should one wait after Yishtabach or before Yishtabach? And the answer that is brought in Alocha, there's a discussion, but the, the, the predominant practice is to wait before Yishtabach. Obviously one can't speak at that point in time. But one will wait before Yishtabach and then, go, and then, then we get the minion. Then do Yishtabach, Kaddish, and Baruch Hu and carry on over there as well. So we covered a huge amount of ground at a very fast pace today. Um, many, much of this is, we're known this is just a, a, a helpful reminder of putting this all together. But clearly, there was a lot of thought put into Pesukah Zimra and a lot of thought deserving, therefore, on our side when going through it as well. Be'ezra Hashem, we should have the opportunity of invigorating our Pesukah Zimra as we move to the Brickhouse crash by next week.